church. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get a Bible right to your seat as we uh, dig into God's Word this morning. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. We are, uh, it's been a real blessing. I think we're going to actually time this out so we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with the birth of Jesus as we're going through the Gospel of Luke. So it's very cool. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38 this morning. Starting in verse 26, we read, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Well, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Holy of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed The title of my message this morning is, It's All About Grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together in this place, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak to our hearts. You have something to say to each one of us individually and as a church corporately. So, Lord, in knowing that, we pray that you'd give us open ears to receive all that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in this fellowship, for the growth that you've, you've, you're pouring out here, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, we just continue to honor you in all that we do and all that we say. And Lord, we pray also if there's anyone here that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you this morning, they're not born again today, would you especially touch their hearts, speak to them this morning, that they would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of us know this story. We know about the angel telling Mary that she will bear the Christ child. We know that Mary will say yes. It's a pretty familiar stuff, but but have you ever wondered, what if Mary said, no, I don't think so. Not me. Find someone else. What would have happened? I mean, we can only guess. Maybe God would have gone to the next house over instead of the Virgin Mary and her husband Joseph the carpenter would be the Virgin Debbie and her husband Bob the bricklayer. I I don't know. But thank God that he had a plan and it was for his grace to be poured out into the lives of Mary and Joseph. And God in his love towards you this morning has a plan and he's poured out the same grace to all that would come to him. 
Now, what I want to do this morning is to look at each one of the individuals that God used in the incarnation. That is of God becoming man to save us from our sins. We'll look at Gabriel first, then we'll look at Joseph, then we'll look at Mary, and then we'll close with looking at our Savior Jesus. So you can say our four points this morning are, if you're taking notes, Gabriel, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Number one, Gabriel. Look at verse 26. We read, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, if you recall, we last left the angel Gabriel who had just informed Zacharias that he and his wife, Elizabeth, who was barren, she was going to have a son. That he would be the father of the greatest prophet that Israel would ever know, John the Baptist. Zacharias didn't believe him, said it's impossible, I'm old, and my wife, well, she's advanced in years also. He was smart, he didn't say his wife was old also, but just advanced in years. But Gabriel couldn't believe it. He said, oh, really? He said, listen, buddy, you don't believe? I'm Gabriel. I mean, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to, to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings, but behold, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. I wonder if Gabriel thought to himself, well, that didn't go the way I thought it would. Everybody thought, this is Zacharias. I thought I'd be thrilled. I thought I'd believe God for this. These humans, what are wrong, what's wrong with them? Maybe he went back to God and said, I can't believe it. He didn't believe the message you gave me to give him. And God says to Gabriel, don't, don't be bummed out about it. Uh, I've got another job for you to do, and this one is even bigger. It's huge, and I assure you, you're going to get a much better response. I'm sending you to Nazareth. Nazareth, Lord? How could this be better? That place is known for its corruption and sin. God says, yeah, but there's a young, godly woman there named Mary who you're going to be given the greatest message ever told. Now, as far as angels go, we mentioned it last week. There are really only two angels in the Bible that we actually have names for. Lucifer doesn't count. He's a fallen angel. But we have Michael. We have Gabriel. I did a, a Google search on angel encounters. Look how many how many hits came back. 21 million hits. 21 million. I guess everybody has some story about an encounter with an angel. And I think that there's some validity to some of the stories, perhaps. The Bible does say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. In other words, you may have been visited by an angel and not even known that it was an angel. So you need to be nice. It says be hospitable. Take the advice that we say this time of year, so be good for goodness sake. I think of the Christmas songs, it would not be Christmas without singing songs that speak of, of angels and their activity at this time. Hark the herald angels sing. Angels we have heard on high. Angels from the realm of glory. So what do we know about these two angels named in the Bible? Well, we know that Michael shows up in the book of Daniel, the book of Jude, and the book of Revelation. As we mentioned last time, Michael is an archangel, which means he's a very high-ranking angel, and it's assumed by many that Gabriel is also an archangel. One thing you know for sure, that if Gabriel or Michael showed up, something big was about to happen. You'd better pay attention. In general, if Michael showed up, something bad was coming down. I mean, there was judgment that was going to be coming, so you better wake up. But when Gabriel showed up, something big was going to happen. Gabriel would come to announce things. What else do we know about Gabriel? Really not much other than he appears in Scripture four different times, twice in the book of Daniel and twice here in the Gospel of Luke. 
We know that he has an appearance of man, but causes fear when he appears. He talks, he can walk into a room, or just appear in it as he did with Zacharias. Or as we read with Mary, he walks in. We also know that he spends most of his time in the presence of God. But if there's one thing that we've learned about angels as we've studied the scriptures, it's that the important thing is not the man, but the mission and the message. In fact, the word angel means messenger. So what was Gabriel's mission? What was Gabriel's message? Well, he first appears in Daniel chapter 8, when Daniel had this strange vision about a ram. Gabriel arrives and gives Daniel the understanding about the vision, that it's about the kingdoms that would come, culminating with the kingdom of the Antichrist, who would oppose even the Messiah, but be defeated. Then about ten years later, Gabriel appears once again to give Daniel insight and understanding, and he proceeds to to give Daniel what is possibly the most outstanding, accurate, and articulate prophecies in all of Scripture. He tells Daniel that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. He tells them the exact number of days after issuing the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would enter into Jerusalem, which was fulfilled precisely to the day. See, all this happened about 550 years before Jesus would come. Gabriel then tells of the death of the Messiah and the prophecy of the Antichrist and his actions during the tribulation period. And then he's gone. But the last Sunday morning, he was here. Well, not here. He was in, in his third appearance in, in chapter 1, where Zacharias is at the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. And Gabriel appears to him and tells him in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. He would be a forerunner of the Messiah. So far, we've seen that Gabriel's mission and his message has always been messianic. It's all about Jesus. And here, as well in chapter 1, Gabriel's mission, that of the greatest announcements ever, is of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. Look at verse 26. We read now, Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now what's interesting is that Gabriel was not sent to Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem was the home where the temple was. The center, uh, really, for the region of Judea, it was called the city of the great king. It was supposed to be the very dwelling place of God, the place of communion with his people. Yet the religious climate at the time in Jerusalem was one that was filled with corruption. It was filled with hypocrisy. Jerusalem was supposed to be the center for the worship of God, and yet it had lost sight of the Lord and his calling and his purpose. And so God passed them over. I think that's really a radical warning to any church or to any person that loses sight of the Lord and of its purpose. See, our focus as a church should always be knowing Jesus and making him known. And if you move away from that, you could be like Jerusalem and be passed over. You'll end up missing out on the blessings that God has for you. So this heavenly messenger passes over Jerusalem and heads towards Galilee. Now, Galilee, on the other hand, was not known for the city of the great king, but rather, I mentioned, it was a dark place especially uh, you know, the Nazareth. The city of Nazareth was like really the armpit of Galilee. I mean, it was one of the most, most uh, corrupt towns to be found in the entire region at that time. I picture in my mind Oakland, California, maybe something like that. <laughs> Watch some videos on that. It's horrible. Or, you know, some of the neighborhoods in Chicago area. Remember when Philip found his friend Nathaniel and announced to him, hey, we found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. Nathaniel's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
See, he's referring to the corruption and, and the wickedness of that city. It's so bad, he was saying. It's just a wicked and it's a dark place. In fact, it was Isaiah the prophet who wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, speaking of Galilee, speaking of Nazareth, when he said, those who dwelt in darkness, God sent a great light. I love that. So from the very beginning, we see that the Lord's heart in passing by those who were supposed to be spiritual and godly and weren't, going to those who are lost and in the dark. That carries us back to really the theme of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this brings us to point number two, and person number two, that's Joseph. Look at verse 27. It says that Gabriel came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now in those days, marriage was made by arrangement. Parents were not about to trust such a radical decision to some fickle teenager. So they would pick out who their kids were going to marry. In that marriage arrangement process, there were three steps. Uh, some like today, some have said. It's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. But, but I, I, I didn't say that. Some say that. But Back then, it was a three-step process. First, you had the engagement period. Some were engaged as early as two years old. I mean, imagine growing up and you're going to marry this kid who's sitting in class next to you with picking his nose. Oh, that's my future husband. But that was the custom. Then a year before the actual wedding, the couple would then enter into that second step, which is known as the, the, the time of espousal or being betrothed. It's a little more radical than just being engaged like we have today because at that point, the couple was legally married, yet the marriage had not been consummated. So the period of espousal was so binding that the only way to get out of it would be with a, a certificate of divorce. And adultery during this time was punishable by stoning. So Mary and Joseph were in this period of espousal waiting for their marriage day, which is the third and final step, the marriage day. Now when it comes to Joseph, we don't know much about him, except in Matthew's Gospel it tells us that it describes him as, as a just man. Just there simply means keeping the commands of God. You can say, define the words just men to mean one anxious to do his true duty before God and in the home. Just a man serving the Lord, loving the Lord, wanting to do his best for the Lord. Now, it's almost certain that Joseph was not alive during the ministry of Jesus. There's no direct mention of him. And it's hard to explain otherwise the words from Jesus there on the cross when Jesus said to John, behold your mother. In other words, take care of her from now on. Because if Joseph was there, he would have done that. But think about this. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How you, would you respond if the person you were betrothed to was suddenly pregnant? And then she tells you, well, yeah, you're not the father. You know, I, I think it, uh, uh, that Joseph would have had a hard time with that one. That is until Gabriel shows up again and tells Joseph it's all true that, she's be, uh, that his betrothed is carrying the Son of God. And this brings us to point number three. Person number three, Mary. Look at verse 27. It says, The virgin's name was Mary. Now, aside from Jesus himself, Mary is possibly the most controversial person in all of Scripture. On one side of the church stands a group who claims that she is deity, who sits at the right hand of Jesus, interceding for us to him. She is a merciful mother, a perpetual virgin. On the other side of the church stands a group who resents this heretical and extra-biblical belief, so much so that Mary's belittled and she's despised. 
But we should not go to either extreme. She should not be deified, nor should she be despised. Our opinion of Mary should be what the Bible says about her and nothing more. Well, what do we know about Mary? We know that she was only a teenager when all this went down, which is amazing. Could you imagine a girl probably 13, 14, 15 years old being visited by an angel and to be told, you're going to be pregnant and the child is the son of the highest. And I think if she was an American teenager, I'd imagine she would have got on her phone right away and started texting. I am shocked, shocked face emoji. An angel came, you know, emoji with a halo around its head. Appeared to me last night, maybe a picture of the moon. But it was totally cool, happy face with sunglasses, you know. Real shiny, sun emoji. Holy Spirit's going to come. There's a picture of a dove. It's going to come on me. I'm going to be pregnant with a baby boy. Picture a little baby boy. And his name is going to be Jesus. And like he's going to be called the son of the highest. And I'm not going to be his mommy. Maybe she added a hashtag. Hashtag visited by angel. Hashtag baby boy messiah. Hashtag scared to death. I don't know. (laughs) If she was an American teenager. Actually, Gabriel describes Mary in three ways. Look at verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Three things the Bible says about Mary. That she was blessed among women, the Lord was with her, and that she had found favor with God. Notice first of all, Gabriel says, Mary, that she's blessed among women. Not above women, among women. I think that Mary would be very embarrassed today by all the attention that some groups have given to her. Suggesting as some do that she's the co-redeemer with Christ. Calling her the, the mother of God. Worshipping her. Praying to her. Now for me, coming out of Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholics will deny that they worship Mary. They call it the veneration of Mary, which means great respect and reverence. But their actions speak louder than their words. And in this case, so did their official words taken from popes throughout the years. For example, let me read what Pope Pius XI said. He said, Oh, mother of love and mercy, who were close to your sweet son when consummating the redemption of mankind on the altar of the cross, suffering with him as co-redemptrix. How about Pope John Paul II stated, Mary, though conceived and born without the stain of sin, which is a lie, participated in a marvelous way in the sufferings of her divine son to be co-redemptrix of humanity. That is blasphemy of the worst sort. It is ancient Babylonian mystery religion parading itself in news clothes, worshiping Mary as the queen of heaven. They also claim she was forever a virgin. See, again, I believe she'd both be grieved and embarrassed by such attention because nowhere in Scripture can any of that be validated. In fact, we find the opposite in the Word of God. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14, we see the disciples, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So that verse alone tells us that Mary had other children after Jesus, and they they were praying with Mary, not to Mary. Now, with that said, Gabriel does tell her in verse 28 that the Lord is with her, and she has found favor with God. See, I don't want to go too far the other way and say that Mary wasn't blessed among all women. She was. Gabriel tells us she was. I mean, look at verse 28. It says, Angel Gabriel, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, 
highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, the Greek word for favor there is the word karitu, and it means highly blessed or much graced. It speaks of one who is overflowing with the grace of God. So when Gabriel shows up and says, Rejoice, highly favored one, or much graced one, he's saying something that has incredible meaning. Not only to Mary, but to all of us. See, Mary was given this great privilege not because she was something special or done something to deserve it, but it's all because of God's grace. It was a work of God's grace in her life that made this woman the one that God has called throughout all of history to receive this privilege. In the middle of this, this city, overflowing with immorality and spiritual darkness, here was Mary, a, a woman whose life was overflowing with the grace of God. She was set apart from all the wickedness of the city because of God's grace. Now here's something interesting about that same Greek word, karitu. It's only used one other time in the Bible, not concerning Mary, but concerning you, concerning me. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted in verse 6, same Greek word, karitu. So we are highly favored as well, because not because of who we are, but because of where we are. Where are we? We are the beloved. We are in Christ. And we know the Bible says anyone in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You see, it's not who we are that makes us highly favored. It's where we are at in Christ. We are the recipients of God's grace. And same way that Mary was the recipient of God's grace as well. See, it's only through the grace of God that we're able to accomplish anything for Him. Same way that God has said through this messenger, Rejoice, highly favored one. God can say the same thing to you, to each one of us this morning that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Rejoice, highly favored one. Because God looks at you and says, I love you, you're highly favored. I love you, you're highly favored. I love you, you're highly favored. In other words, in the midst of the spiritual darkness in our nation today, even in our own city, perhaps even in your own family, God's grace can effectively work in your life just like it did in Mary's life. And we looked at this last week. God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in my weakness. So if there are areas of weakness in your life, if the enemy is coming against you, you're living around darkness all around you, know this God's grace will sustain you. God will strengthen you. In fact, we're told this in 1 Peter 5.12 that it's the true grace of God in which we stand. But if we lose sight of that fact, and if we think that somehow we can stand on our own, I have it all together, I, I don't need God, and we begin to live that way, then, you know, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. I think, especially this time of year, all that goes along with this time of year. People going to these parties one right after another, all night long partying and, and, and drinking and getting up Sunday morning with hangovers. Think about all those that are living in sin and sexual immorality. All this going around us every single day. How empty and unfulfilling that is. But God's grace was poured out upon you and upon me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our own Nazareth in which we live, God came down and touched our lives. And as a result, He's given us joy and peace and contentment and hope through knowing Him as our Lord and as our Savior. 
And we can find ourselves living in God's grace, just as Mary did, called out for a purpose to reflect the light of Jesus in this dark world. Now, notice Mary's response to Gabriel in verse 28. Gabriel says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 29, we read, But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, he hasn't told her yet that she was going to have a baby. She just shows up. And it's interesting that word that says troubled, uh, that she was troubled not at seeing him necessarily, but she was more troubled by what he said. See, that word troubled could also be uh, translated agitated, taken back. She might have thought, what are you talking about? Did you just call me a highly favored one? See, this implies that Mary didn't see herself that way. This shows us something else about Mary, which is true of all of those whose lives have been marked by God's grace, and that is the work of God's grace in our lives produces humility. Grace produces humility. I mean, to be told by an angelic messenger that her life was overflowing with God's grace wasn't something that Mary perceived about herself. She didn't say, "Uh, rightly so, thank you for recognizing it. So do that. Gabriel says, rejoice, highly favored one, whose life is overflowing with God's grace. And it's like Mary's response is, who, me? Are you sure you have the right person here, the right house? She didn't look at herself that way. She wasn't conscious of her godliness and the inner beauty that God had worked in her life. And, and that is always a work of God's grace. Again, God's grace produces humility. But wherever you see spiritual pride, you're going to see the absence of God's grace. Someone who walks around talking about how godly they are doesn't even realize how ungodly they have become. It's a sin of pride. That's why we're told in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God gives more grace. Therefore, he says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want more grace in your life? Simple. Humble yourself. Proverbs 13, 10 tells us, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Obadiah 1, 3, we're told that pride in the heart brings deception. See, a person whose life is not built upon the grace of God will be a person who thinks in their minds that they've arrived. Maybe they, they've you know, reached some spiritual stature, some degree of spiritual stature. It's been said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. But again, we don't see any of that in Mary. She's so taken back by what Gabriel says because she just didn't perceive herself in that way. And I believe that it's not until a person sees himself as spiritually bankrupt before that door can be opened for God's grace to move in. You have to know that you need to be saved before you can be saved. You have to know that in you, in me, in my flesh, apart from Christ, dwells no good thing. That our lives are empty without Christ. We're on our way to hell in need of a Savior. And by the grace of God, if we see the spiritual condition we're in and return from it, and return and cry out to Jesus to save us from sin and death and hell, He will answer that prayer. He will, just as He said in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. All this to say we want to, to see Mary in her proper perspective. We don't want to put her on a pedestal that's too high and look at her if she's some almost a deity, but on the other hand, we don't want to demean or dismiss her place in the Bible because she certainly stands as a virtuous woman for all women to follow. But, as, as godly as Mary was, she was still a sinner like everybody else. 
Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. She had to have salvation just in the same way you and I have to have it. In fact, what's called the, her Magnificent, recorded in, in verses 46 through 55, we'll look at next week. She says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. See, Mary realized in that statement that she needed a Savior herself. She needed Jesus. Now look at verse 30 and 31, and Mary's reaction to all of this. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now drop down to verse 34 for a moment. Look at Mary's response to that. We read, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now Mary's response is different than Zacharias' response. When Gabriel came to Zacharias, Zacharias responded with, with doubt. His attitude was, was more, there's no way that that can happen. We're way too old. But Mary's response is different. She doesn't doubt. She's just looking for some clarification, some understanding. So how is this exactly going to happen? I mean, that's a very valid question. She says, how can this be? For I do not know a man. That's a biblical way of saying I've not had sexual relations with any man. So she's questioning the logistics of all, of all this. She's saying, I'm not understanding what I need to do here. You know, there are things, especially as a pastor, that I see that happens in dealing with people that we just don't understand in relationships or problems. And I think there are times that, that people just expect it to have all the answers. And I think they can get disappointed when they ask me, well, what do you think the Lord's doing here? I don't know. I don't understand. I can certainly tell you what God's Word says, but how that pertains to your life and what you're going through right now, I can't tell you. I don't know if the Lord's telling you to stay here or to move. I don't understand why God allowed that to happen in your life. See, there are times that the Lord tells us, you just don't need to understand. All you need to do is trust me. I mean, do you ever find yourself doing this? Lord, uh, I need to understand. Uh, Then I'll trust you. (laughs) No, the Lord says, you really don't. You know, I don't understand this technology behind uh, being able to hold this little device, a little cell phone, smartphone. I can talk to my son Christopher face-to-face who's stationed over 6,000 miles away in Sasebo, Japan. and call him up. I can talk to him. I don't have to understand the technology in order to enjoy the technology. To enjoy, I, I, he's right here. I'm talk, we're, we're live. Just, just, I'm talking to him. He's talking to him. I'm blessed by it. See, in the same way, All we need to understand is that God loves us and His Word tells us that His thoughts towards us are more than the sands in the sea. I mean, that's radical. I don't understand that, but I enjoy that. I like what the Apostle Paul said, that, that when we do that, God then gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So often, we seek a peace that's with understanding, yet God brings us a peace that surpasses understanding. Now understand, that doesn't mean we're to put your brain on cruise control and then veg out. 
and understand that God can never direct you or cause you to do anything that contradicts His Word. Oh, I don't know. Look, I just don't understand, but I know i got to uh, leave my husband. i got to divorce my wife. Uh, you know, I don't have biblical grounds, but I don't understand it. Nonsense. That's not of the Lord. See, God's Word is our final authority. But the things that we don't understand are more like the things of our everyday life. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing in this situation, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, I lost my job. I don't understand. Right before Christmas, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, I don't know where the money's going to come to cover this, this bill. I don't know why this happened to me, but I'm going to trust you. Because there are times that we don't know what God is doing, how he's going to work, when he says to us, you just need to trust me. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, be not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So Mary here says, How can this be? I haven't known a man. I think the Lord and Gabriel knows that there's this frightened teenager here, teenager here, not really knowing what to do next. So look at the response of verse 35. And the angel said to her, answered to her, said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And to prove it to you, verse 36, Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So I picture this frightened young teenager girl and Gabriel realizing this and just looking down at her and answering, oh, okay, listen, sweetie, the Holy Spirit, unlike what, what he said to Zacharias, you can't talk for nine months, but, but for here, listen, sweetie, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the, the highest is going to overshadow you and one's going to be born as a, as a son of God. And, and here's some proof. You, you know Elizabeth. You're related to her. She's pregnant right now as well. For with God, nothing is impossible. You see, Gabriel is telling her that this is not going to be a natural thing. This is going to be a supernatural thing. And it's not through man. It's going to be through God's Spirit. You know, that's the key to getting through life. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Gabriel says to Mary, it's not a natural thing. It's going to be a supernatural thing that God's going to do. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Note that word for power in verse 35. You might have heard this before. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. It's the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that's going to work in Mary's life miraculously. And then he says this great statement in verse 37 that we all should have underlined in our Bible, highlighted on your notebook, in your phone, whatever you have your Bible on. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Now, it's, that word impossible is the word adunateo, which means without power. So it says, for with God, nothing will be without power. I think we all know what it means to not have power. You know, a nice storm comes or, or the storm happens and it knocked the power. Everything goes dark. And there's no power. You know, you have no power. But listen to how the way the Amplified Bible puts this verse, verse 37. For with God, nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. I like that. Because that says that when God speaks his word, when we embrace it, when we apply it, it has the power to produce conception in us, life in us. 
In other words, uh, with God there is power in His Word. So if you take the Word of God at face value, conception is the result. That which was barren in your life can be given life. Marriage problems would seem impossible. It seems like your marriage is dying. God, if you take Him at His Word, can give life into your marriage. To say, Lord, I don't understand exactly how this works, but Lord, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to love my wife as you love the church because that's what your word says. I'm going to submit to my husband as unto you, Lord, because that's what your word says. I'm going to love my children. And when we embrace God's word and let it work in and through our lives, then it's going to produce that fruit in our lives. Miracles happen. Life begins. And that's why Mary finally says, look at verse 38. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary responds with an affirmation of her faith. Let it be to me according to your word. Listen, that should be the response of every single believer. But think about this. Think what it took for her to say something like that. Think about what she would have to encounter if she even thought about this. Mary's in agreeing to this pregnancy. First, she would have to understand that, that the unfavorable false accusations and the stares that she would get from the neighbors and most of all from Joseph. She completely had to understand that, that they would talk about her as having some illegitimate child, maybe from some Roman soldier, like many young girls during, had during that time. She had to completely understand it would bring an embarrassment to her family, not to mention a death penalty for adultery to her. But her faith in God overcame all of those things instantly. Mary was obedient to the Lord. Let it be according to your word, she says. May we say the same thing. Lord, I'm going to embrace what you say. May it be according to your word. Now the last thing I want to look at and it's what Angel Gabriel said to Mary about Jesus and that brings us to our final point, the most important person in our study this morning and that is Jesus. Look back at verse 32 and 33. And Gabriel says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel is telling Mary that her son was going to be the Messiah. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. He would have a kingdom that would go on forever and ever and ever. This was in direct fulfillment of the prophecy given to us 400 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now I want us to consider something Isaiah said here about Jesus, and then we'll close. He says, the government will be upon his shoulders. What did Jesus bear upon his shoulders? He bore our sins. He bore the cross. He carried that cross up the Via Della Rosa and his shoulders and then was pressed against it as he was nailed to it to pay the price for your sin, for my sin. To give us life. To set us free. It's a price he paid to be your king. Listen, if our king, if the one who has the government on his shoulders took my cross and my sins upon his shoulders, then that's the kind of king that I want to serve. I mean, what a great government. One in which the king gave his life to save his people, not the other way around. 
The one that became poor so that we might become rich. One that would suffer and die so that we would not have to, that we could go to heaven. And now Jesus sits in the throne of heaven. But one day, he's going to return to this earth to set up a kingdom that will never end. But right now, he wants to be on the throne of your life. To sit on the throne of your heart. He wants to establish his kingdom in your life to be your Lord. I think it's so important, right as we get to the, the business of the season right now, we're just getting ready just to go for it, to stop and reflect upon what Jesus has done for us. Think about what God has done for you and I to be saved. And realizing the great lengths that God went to in sending His Son, born of a virgin, for one reason, to save you. The one reason to carry the cross. One reason to take away your sin and my sin upon Himself and to pay our debt so that we can have life. See, it's all about God's grace. We can't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. All we can do is receive it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, then God is offering you this grace today. He's offering you forgiveness of sin. But you must come to Him believing. Believing that He died for your sins. Believe that He rose from the grave. And He's ready to set you free from the bondage of sin, to take away the guilt and the shame from sin, and to give you new life. But you've got to turn your life over to Him. Receive Him today. Simply open up your heart and say to Him, Lord, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me upon the cross. I commit my life to you now. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. In Jesus' name. You pray that prayer. You mean it from your heart. You'll be born again. Your sin will be dealt with. You'll have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, we're told in 1 John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So if you don't know Christ here this morning, I encourage you, don't leave here without making that commitment to Christ. I want, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this uh, woman of faith, Mary, that we can look at and see, Lord. Just how much she loved you and your grace poured out upon her. And Lord, we can parallel that to how much grace you poured upon us. Lord, we don't deserve salvation. There's no amount of work that we can do that can earn our way to heaven. Jesus, you paid for it. You said upon the cross, it is finished. You paid the price for our sin. So all we have to do is receive it from you. Confess our sin. Believe. And you will forgive us. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone here in this room this morning that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior. But Lord, I know you're touching their hearts. You're speaking to them. And you're telling them, Jesus wants to come in. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart. I knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. I will, I will come into their life. I will save them. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today? You want to know if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? You want to have that assurance? I'm just going to ask you to make that profession of faith and just raise your hand. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. Anybody at all, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. This is just between you and the Lord. God bless you. Anybody else? God loves you. He wants to take away that sin. He wants to forgive you of it. He wants to give you life. 
Just raise your hand so I could pray for you. Not about what you can do. You can't earn your way to heaven. No amount of works, good works, is going to get you in heaven. Jesus paid the price in full. He said from the cross, it is finished. So all you have to do is receive it. It's like a, like a present, but if you don't receive it, you don't get it. So just raise your hand in the last few moments. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask this, this young man that, that raised his hand to receive Christ just to pray the simple prayer out loud, meet it from his heart. It's a prayer of asking Jesus to come into their life. I think as believers, we can pray with them. Show them a sign of unity. Just pray after me. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin and rising again from the dead. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from it today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord for this one.